want to welcome all of you to our, our morning service. Great to see you. Felt, felt, felt the ground shaking a little bit. Did you? But uh, I, I just want to welcome you, especially if you're a guest here today. It's so great to have you. Uh, we've been going through this whole series that you saw up on the screen called Climate Change. And you can ask the question, well, what, what in the world are we doing talking about climate change in the church? You know, that sounds like something, you know, outside. But what we're relating it to is that climate change is all about relationships. What's the climate in our relationships? And something that we talked about uh, last week, we're going to do a little bit of review last week in case you weren't here. If you would like to hear last week's uh, uh, ser- uh, sermon or lesson, you can go to our website and, and watch it or listen to it and download it, whichever you like. But one of the things we talked about last week was this. Each one of us have a collection of relationships, and each one of those relationships carries a climate with it, as we we saw on the the intro video. And if I were to describe to you a friendship between two people, and the climate is cold, very dark, frigid, and distant, what would be the forecast of that relationship as you see it. Not very good, is it? I mean, you can look at the present climate of any relationship and and predict with uncanny accuracy the forecast for that relationship. And this, this works for all relationships, both family, friendships, at work, all over the place. And each one of us have those relationships and each one of us have our own climate. And so... Last week, uh, we talked about this. This is a principle. The climate of those relationships dictates the forecast. The climate of those relationships dictates the forecast. And uh, there's at least one relationship, maybe two or three, maybe a bunch of them, but there's at least one relationship that's in need of a climate change. It's a little stormy. And so that's what we've been talking about. You know, if we've got great relationships and things are going great with people, you know, but there's always a few that it's a little stormy. And so we've been doing this series so that we can have the best relationships, the closest relationships, and really deal with our own climate. And so last week we, uh, you know, we talked about getting in touch with our own climate. And you know the interesting thing about our climate, yours and mine, we can't see it. We're completely in the dark about what is our climate. And so last week we talked about this to go and ask three people, three people this one question. Anybody remember what the question is? Yeah, 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 all that. What's it like to be on the other side of me? And we asked that question of three different people, three different people in three different settings. You know why we ask this question? And I don't know if you've asked this question. I, I encourage you, if you haven't yet, to please do that. It's going to help you because you don't know what it's like to be on the other side of you. You're completely out of touch. You may think you know what your personal climate is, but you don't know. You're out of touch. None of us can see. So that's why it's so important to involve other people and ask them, particularly those people which we have an unstable climate with, hey, how do you see me? What's it like to be on the other side of me. And so that's what we talked about last week. And and this week we're going to we're going to go in a different 
direction, but we're going to build off that first question that we asked last week in part two today is, what's it like to be on the other side of me? And then we're going to build on that and look at us and ourselves and, and ask a deeper question. You're not going to ask anybody else any questions. You're going to ask this question of yourself. And so to do this, we're going to talk about the most significant climate shaper and influencer in our relationships. The most significant climate shaper and influence in our relationships. And it has to do with us. So I'm going to ask a friend to come on out here and, and help us out with this illustration. So bring out my friend Ralph, everybody. This is my buddy Ralph. Okay, he's got, got his name on his shirt and everything. He's a little quiet, probably one of the better friendships that I've ever had because he doesn't talk back. It's a one-way relationship. But you know, when you think about Ralph here, and you think about names in general, you know, one of the things that we like about our name is to hear our name. And just like he's got his name on his shirt, we have our name and it labels us. And one of the things that we love to do is to hear our name. When people call us by name, they say, hey, and they say our name. It's like music, right? But what's it like when somebody doesn't remember your name? Hey, yo, what's up, dude? Hey, hey, bro, hey, bud, how, how, what's going on, guy? And you know, you know they haven't remembered your name. They can't, they can't get it. You know, how does that feel? That, it brings us down a little bit, doesn't it? It hurts a little bit, Right? I get put in this position so many times, you know, and, and it's, it's awkward. You know, it's painful because I know how it, much it means to people to hear and know their name. And I remember when we were in Mexico, there were thousands of members uh, of the church, and they were very bold. They would come right up and say, hey, do you, do you remember me? Do you remember, do you remember my name? I thought, dude, I'm sorry. You know, hermano. Hermana, you know, and it was so painful, but it's the truth. But one of the things that we're going to talk about today is one single thing. And if you and I can nail this one thing, this climate effector, this climate changer, this climate killer even, it can change everything for us. So to bring you back to Ralph here, you know, we, we've got our name, and our names label us, but, you know, in time in our lives, certain things happen, and, and our name gets replaced with, with this, with certain things, okay? Comments are made about us. You know, for some of us, a comment was mentioned to us when we were, you know, way back in school, maybe it was a coach, maybe it was a teacher, and they made a comment about us, and it became our label, it identified us, and it, it, it still is with us today. We still walk around with it sticking to us in our lives. We carry around that comment and those comments that people make about us. And then, you know, something happens along the way, and, and then it can change, and, and then we can... We can have some successes in our lives, and those successes become our label, and they become our identifier. It's who we are. My name is, and we, we identify with that. I've been successful in my relationships. 
or in, in work or whatever, and, and we, we have statuses. But then there's something else that comes along with successes. And they label us, and they stick to us. And that is this, failures. Failures. They stick to us. And they begin to be our identity. And we walk around thinking about those things. And then I'll give you another one. This happens a lot, a lot, a lot in, in Southern California. Experiences. Experiences. Okay, and I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Experiences. Like, for example, this week I pulled up in a parking lot and parked next to this, this ride here. You can go back to the, uh, the, 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 the keynote and you'll see what I'm talking about. Okay, how'd you like to park next to this convertible Beamer 350i with rims and everything? And I parked up in my mini SUV used. You know, and you ever done this? You, you pull up next to a car and you go, man, that's a cool car. And you look at your own car and you go, oh man, I am so, and here it is, I am so, and here's a label, uncool. Super, super uncool. And that's a label. I am super uncool. By all those things around us. You know, and, and one of the things that we're going to talk about today is insecurity. And this becomes a label. And this is kind of where we're going to come in for a landing today, is this label right here, insecurity. Insecurity. Because each one of us carries inside of us insecurities. And you can go back to the... You know, and this word here, insecurity, is a significant climber, or climate shaper in our relationships. It affects us so much. And I'm not saying today that you're an insecure person. I'm saying that all of us have insecurities. And it affects our ability to interact with people. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. You ever been on the other side of an insecure person? What's that like? You ever been on the other side of, a, of an insecure boss? It's extremely challenging to be on the other side of an insecure person, whether it's our boss, whether it's a, a friend, or even a spouse. Because you, like, you feel like you're walking on eggshells all the time. Any little comment, any little phrase, any little thing, and you've got a, a situation on your hands. It, 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 arises, it arises this whole argument, this whole discussion. What did you mean by that? What do you think? What are you trying to say to me? And all this other stuff, and it just gets, it gets sideways really quick, and you go, wow, this is complicated to be around an insecure person. And what I'm saying is, insecurity is a real blocker in our relationships. And this isn't just a church thing. You, you, you know, I know you're in church in the context of, of where we are, and you say, well, this, you're talking about church. No, I'm not talking about a church thing. Insecurity is not just a, a church thing. It's everywhere. It's all over the place. And, and one of the things that happens is, is you know, and I, I studied in college marketing. And this, is, this, this idea of people that are, they have insecurities is marketing 101. 
And guess what I'm going to try to do as a marketer? If I can position my product, if I can position my product in such a way as that it's going to, it's going to be there to fill up your insecurities, guess what? I'm going to make a lot of money. And here's a fact. Here's a fact. Everybody has insecurities. Everybody has insecurities. Even the most secure, you would think, person has insecurities. And so here's what we did in marketing. And if you don't believe me, they have a whole semester of course study at the Harvard Business School that deals with this idea right here. Self-esteem, self-esteem is the cure for insecurity. Everybody has insecurities. And self-esteem is the cure for our insecurities. Now, I'm going to put this under the microscope and see if it's true. But this is what they use in marketing. And you don't believe me? Tonight, when you, some of you, are going to go watch the Oscars, instead of fast-forwarding the commercials, I want to encourage you to watch the commercials. And I want you to key in on this and watch what they do, how they position themselves, and they key in on what's missing in your security base. Almost all, if not all, not all of them, but most of them, key in on this idea of trying to help you with your insecurities. And if I can sell you my stuff, if I can position my product in your, in your life so that it's going to build up your self-esteem, guess what? I'm going to sell. I'm going to sell really, really good. And so this is what they taught me in marketing. And they said, before you leave here, before we give you your diploma, this one thing, one thing I want you to remember. Self-esteem is the cure for insecurities. So you've got to go out there and try to meet that. And that's how you're going to be successful in marketing. Don't believe me? I want to show you a commercial. It came out a few years ago. It's perfect. It came out a few years ago as a Super Bowl commercial. And it, it describes what I'm talking about perfectly. So let's dim the lights and let's watch this commercial. Show me a smile, babe. Don't be unhappy, can't remember when I last saw you laughing. If this world makes you crazy and you've taken all you can bear, you call me up because you know I'll be there. And I see your true colors shining through. I see your true colors. Oh, you don't have to clap. It's perfect. Whoever did this, I mean, he's good. She's good. It's the perfect song. It's the perfect message. And it is keying in on what is wrong with girls today. Their self-esteem. And our product, roundabout way, 
Then come out and say it. We've got this campaign, and we're working on women's self-esteem, and we're gonna we're gonna start this this foundation to help women feel beautiful about themselves, and then slide it on underneath. Guess what else is gonna help you? Some soap. That's beautiful. Do you know how much money they made on that commercial? You know how they position themselves? You know, in, in the market because of, of that? There's only one problem with this misnomer that self-esteem is the cure for insecurities. There's one problem. And there's one problem with that commercial. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. See, because self-esteem is not, self-esteem is not the cure for insecurities. How do I know that? Just look around. And I'm going to show you here in just a minute, and it's going to be crystal clear for you. You know, tonight we're going to be, uh, we're going to be watching the, the Oscars, some of us, and then probably in a couple weeks, you remember the Barbara Walters show? I don't know if she's still doing it. Maybe Diane Sawyer took her place. But they always interview the Best Actress or Best Actor Award winner from the Oscars. And they sit him down in this interview with the Best Actor or the Best Actress. And we're talking drop-dead, gorgeous, successful, perfect model person. They've reached the pinnacle. They're on the top. And then Barbara gets in there and starts asking these questions. And what happens almost all the time? What happens when the, in this interview? The people start crying. They're crying. And you go, wait a second. You're at the top. You're set. You win an Oscar. You're set for the future. You're going to get all kinds of movie deals for millions of dollars. You're going to move to Beverly Hills. You're going to be on the top. You are the most successful person in your field. You've reached the top. And you're crying? Why are you crying? You've made it. You should have the complete, complete bucket full of self-esteem. And why? Because those same people are very insecure. And success will not cure. Self-esteem will not cure. All the show, all the bluff, you know, on the red carpet and all that stuff. And they look, you peel back the curtains and you go, wow, this person is very insecure. Here's what self-esteem is. Self-esteem is like a five-hour energy drink. It's just a matter of time before it wears out. It's going to fall off. You may be feeling good for now, but self-esteem, no matter what you get your fill from, it's going to wear off. It's going to go away. And then you're faced with who you really are and what's really going on. There's a, there's a woman, uh, her name is Beth Moore, and she... she is a, a speaker and a writer, and she started this ministry in Texas with professional athletes, professional athlete women. And, and, and she describes it in some of her writings. She says that in working with a lot of these professional athlete women, they are the, some of the most beautiful women in the world. They've got it all. They are, they're, they're, they're models. They're in good shape. They, they have, they've, they've been successful in their sport and whatever, and, and yet when she gets with them and she talks to them and she peels back all the stuff, she says that they, these people are some of the most insecure people on the planet. And you go, why? They have everything. 
They're complete. And that's because self-esteem is not the cure. Now, that's women. And women, typically, it's more prone and more active. But let's talk about, it's not just the women, let's talk about the men. Anybody remember this guy? Bonos. Bonos. You know, the incredible thing, and something, he, was, he was around before you guys were, were born, some of you. Right? But the amazing thing about Bo, or his, his real name is, is Vincent, he was one of the most incredible athletes of all time. And it was amazing what he did in the area of, of sports. Uh, he won the Heisman Trophy in college. Ground shaking again. But Bo Jackson, and he was one of the reasons why, you know, so many people are still walking around as L.A. Raiders fans here in Los they, they, he helped take the L.A. Raiders, and that's when, when the Raiders were here in Los Angeles. You know, Michael uh, Allen, he was one of the stars, but once Bo showed up, they said, hey, you know, you got to go. We, we got Bo. And the amazing thing about Bo is he, got, he won the Heisman, and then he was, was supposed to be a first-round draft pick, and then he went into baseball, played for the Kansas City Royals, and was a superstar in baseball. Not just an average good player. He was a superstar. He was an all-star. And then he decides, well, I'm going to take up another hobby. And then started playing pro football. And then became a pro bowler. And one of the best players of the game. He was the best running back. Many people have agreed. He was the best running back at the time. In all the NFL. A great baseball player. And he would play both sports during the year. Maybe that's typical for high school, but you don't find that in professional sports. And this guy was amazing. He did things that people have never done. They are not doing it anymore. I mean, this guy would leap. He, had a, he was also a track star, and he developed this campaign with Nike called Bo Nose. Remember it? Bo Nose. And he'd have this poster, and he would have a surfboard, a tennis racket, a football, a baseball bat. And, you know, all these sports. And Bo knows he was the all-around incredible athlete. And they developed the shoe campaign around him. And that's when Nike, basically, they were behind Reebok, and they basically exploded past Reebok and became the number one athletic shoe. This was before Mike. Some people think it was Mike. No, Mike, Mike, Mike was on the coattails of Bo Jackson. And here's something interesting about Bo. When Bo was growing up, and I read this ESPN documentary, and this is one of the pictures that they had in the documentary, that Bo, when he was growing up, had a terrible speech impediment when he was a kid. And the kids in his neighborhood would make horrific fun of him. I mean, just really, they made fun of him. And this guy was just full, full of rage about the fact that he wasn't accepted because of his speech impediment. And that rage, and he shares it, that rage boiled up in him and became the reason for his excellence in sports. It basically motivated him because of an incredible insecurity. And he wanted to prove to the world that Bo is the best in spite of his speech impediment. Now here's a guy at the top and yet, inside, incredibly, incredibly insecure. 
So once again, self-esteem is not the cure for our insecurity. So we're going to do this. We're going to have a fill-in-the-blank today. If, this, if self-esteem is not, then what is? Fill-in-the-blank. What is the cure for insecurities? And we're going to talk about this today. And we're going to look at some verses in the Bible that really help us nail down this. Insecurity, just so you know, creates a very unstable environment in our relationships. I mean, it creates a mess in our relationships. And so today we're going to deal with that. We're going to look at the cure for our insecurities. The real deal. And if you and I, if you and I, and I need you to hold on to this, I need you to pay attention. If you and I, can get this today, I'm talking night and day difference in our relationships and even how we feel about ourselves. This is huge, what we're going to talk about today. And so we're going to look at a verse in, in the Bible, and it comes from the vantage point of the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was one of the writers, he probably wrote most, or he did write most of the New Testament as we have it today. But the Apostle Paul was an incredibly successful, intelligent, educated leader. And also, he lived a life that very few people achieved. And he shares from this vantage point, his own vantage point, about this self-esteem issue and, and what really crossed him over. So let's begin in Philippians chapter 3. If you have your Bible, you can open it up. If not, they're going to be on the screen. In Philippians 3, verse 3, it says here, We who serve God by the Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. So he's saying, this is how we are as followers of Christ, but this is who I was, and I have reason. If you want to go there, if you want to talk about achievements and successes, I can go there. And for many of us, what he's going to begin talking about, you know, we really don't get it. But he basically is saying this. Did you guys know that I won the Heisman? Did you guys know that at that level in the first century that I was incredibly successful in my area, in my field, that Nobel Prize winner, that I was at the elite status as a, as a religious leader in the religious world, I was one of the best of the best. That's what he's saying. And so he goes on and says in verse 4 and 5, it continues, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh... I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee. In verse 6, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Basically, what Paul is saying, he jumped through all the hoops. He did everything right from the outside. As far as accomplishments in the religious world, he was at the top. And he could stand up in, next to anybody and say, so you think you're something? Let me tell you about me. Let me tell you what I've memorized about the Scriptures. Let me tell you what I know about the Bible. I got all the accolades when it comes to religious setting in the first century. And then he says this, but whatever 
Whatever were gains to me, I now considered them a loss for the sake of Christ. Now he's doing a comparison here. All that outward stuff, all that stuff on the outside, I set it aside. And then I came to know this new, this brand new label. And that label is how God sees me. Not how the world sees me, not even how I see myself, but how God sees me. And then in verse 8, he says here, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. All those accolades, all those successes, all those things that I achieved before. You know what they mean to me now? They're nothing. They're empty. I set them all aside because now, now, I understand something very deep and meaningful. And if you and I can grab what we're about to look at, it could change everything for us. And it can change everything for people if we can help them understand it as well. And so, Paul's just saying, listen, as far as value is concerned, I had all this, and it counts for nothing, but now the most valuable thing. And then he goes on and finishes chapter 3, and then in chapter 4, he goes into and he shares with us a landmark, a landmark Scripture. It's one of the most well-known Scriptures and verses in the Bible. Thanks to Tim Tebow, it's the second most Googled verse in the whole Bible. Second to only John 3.16. This is number two. And it's a powerful verse. A very powerful verse. So I'm going to show it to you. Philippians chapter 4. And if we get this, it's going to be the cure. It can be. It has the potential to be the cure for our insecurity. So let's look at the verse. Chapter 4, verse 13. And Paul says this, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can do everything. And, but, but here's the problem. Too often when people see this verse, they like the first four letters or the first four words in the phrase. What, what are the first four words? I can do everything. And we hold on to that. But we miss. We miss What's the real value of this Scripture? And the real change. And here it is. For I can do everything, what? Through Christ. In other words, if I can see me the way God sees me, if I can put on the glasses and see me the way God sees me, then there's no limit. There's no end. If I can just see me the way God sees me through the eyes of God, through the eyes of Jesus, instead of through my eyes, instead of the world's eyes, if I can just see things differently. And there, let me, let me share with this. At the, heart, at the heart of insecurity is something unseen. Do you know what it is? The very root of insecurity, and all of us, all of us have it. Here it is. At the heart of insecurity is the 
fear of rejection. At the heart of insecurity is the fear of rejection. And that's why even the most famous people, the wealthiest people, the most successful people, they still have this core fear inside of them. No matter what they do, it's still not enough. It's still not lasting. Because in their core resides a horrifying fear. What if I'm not accepted? And this is why self-esteem, this verse here is why, or this phrase here is the reason why self-esteem is not the cure for insecurity. Because it never deals with this fear. It never deals with this issue. And if you've got some instability in some of your relationships, I want you to be honest with yourself. So what's at the core? Why do you react? Why do you respond? Why do, you, why, do you, why do you get sideways in so many situations? Because you're afraid. And it's time for us to get honest. And everybody does. And here it is. Acceptance is the cure for our insecurities. Acceptance is the cure for our insecurities. If you were going to write something down today, I'd encourage you to write this. Acceptance is the cure. If you and I can find a way to understand how God sees us and the relationship that He wants to have with us, it could change everything. It can make all the difference for us. And here's a, here's, a, here's a point really, really important. The climate of your relationships improves when you see you as God sees you. The climate of your relationships improves when you see you as God sees you. When you take off those glasses of how you see you, all those comments, all those things that have been said about you, all those labels that have stuck to you for so long, if you can peel those off and you can put on a brand new label and you can see this label on yourself every time you look in the mirror and you look and you see this, this is my new label. Acceptance. I'm accepted in the eyes of God. It can change everything in our relationship. It stabilizes things. It takes away all the sideline issues that we have and that we struggle with. And so I wanted to begin to share, you know, because I'm going to pick on you a little bit. Okay? But before I pick on you, I, I got I to deal with me. And so I wanted to share with you in this, in this lesson, I basically had to be honest, not just about the struggle, but what about me and how this pertains to me. And i got to be honest, as a minister, because I so badly want to see, and even today, you know, and every Sunday, you want to you do these incredible presentations that are going to help people with their lives, and, and you want to come away feeling like it was acceptable. It was a job well done. It really met the need. And so from Monday... So Saturday, there's always this inner struggle. How's it going to be? 
How's it going to come across? You know, not only that, but when you're in the you're 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 in the ministry, and so many people look to you and they say, "Hey, you know, you're our model. You're you're the example. You're you're the one that, that's supposed to show us what it, what it must be like to be close to Jesus, to be like Jesus, to be obedient to the Bible. Because you're the you're the teacher. You're the one that rolls it out in the area of example, personal example, marriage, family." How are you doing on all that? And I, I got to be honest with you guys, because it, it eats at me sometimes, and I see, you know, that, that that I've got some insecurities about not being, not doing what I need to do, and being what I need to be, and even how our ministry goes. You know, the whole thing with, are we gonna, are we gonna make it? Are we going to really reach that, that, that goal of, of, of helping a lot of people and making a dent and, and, and having an impact in our community? Are, am I really going to be able to achieve and, and, and accomplish and be accepted by God and even by you as that we're doing this? And so going through this lesson, I had to ask myself some questions. So really, what's this about? Am I trying to fill my self-esteem with all these things? Really? And I had to come to some conclusions. This is a need in my life. This is a need where I've got to stop looking at all those things, all those lists, and say, you know what, I've got to look at what's really happening between me and God. And not how it's going on the outside, but what He's already done for me. I accept you. And so, that's me. I want to talk about you. I want to begin with the ladies. Ladies first, right? That's what they say. I want to talk to the ladies. And here's, here's the question for you today. Whose acceptance are you trying to achieve? Whose acceptance are you trying to achieve? And you know what bothers me? I've got a 19-year-old daughter. And I see what the world does. You know, all the Photoshop and airbrushed pictures on magazines and, and all this stuff. And how, how the world is just, is just pushing it out there. This is what it means to be a, an all-put-together woman. Her weight, her, 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 her look, her... her her education, her success, etc. A long, 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 long list. And it, it angers me that my daughter, or my wife for that matter, have to be fighting against this, this, this thing that is, that is pushing them to be somebody that they're not. And I, I want to say this to the young women here in the audience. Some of you guys are plagued with the idea that you've got to go through and you've got to, you've got to meet up to the expectations of your school friends. You've got to have the right shape. You've got to be in the in crowd. You've got to be this person. Let me tell you something. If you have to jump through all those hoops to be accepted, something's wrong. And, and I've got, I got, got to say this to the young ladies. I've got to say this to the young ladies in the, in the room here, okay? This is important that you hear this. God sees you 
as beautiful. He sees you as beautiful. He, you were made just the way He wanted to make you. And if you go around comparing yourself to everybody else and thinking, well, I'm not this, and, and like the commercial we saw, I'm not that, I'm not the other, I'm short, I'm this, I'm the other. I bring you back to this question. Whose acceptance are you trying to achieve when in reality, you've already been accepted? You are loved by God. And you are beautiful. And that goes for all the women in here today. It's time for us to take off those glasses that the world has dished out and, and, and stop trying to achieve, try, stop trying to be and, and receive what God's already given us. Now i got to talk to the men. Okay? For the men, when you get home late from work and your family asks you, where have you been? Why are you so busy? Why, why, why don't we have a better relationship? You say, well, listen, I'm just, trying, I'm just trying to provide for the family. I'm trying to be a great provider. I'm trying to be a great you know, leader of our family. Really? Or is it something deeper? Are you trying to receive the acceptance of somebody else? And for the men, it's so important that you understand that God accepts you and He wants to accept you. And you don't have to jump through all these hoops. And then one last category, parents. You know, today it's really tough being a parent because you've got to be a super parent. You've got to drive your kid to this. They've got to be an, a great student. They've got to be involved in athletics. They've got to be involved in the arts, maybe. They've got to be doing this and this and this. And parents, we're looking over our shoulder. What's Johnny and his parents doing? What's, what's Susan and her, her parents doing? And we're trying to keep up. We're running around. And we're running our kids crazy. And guess what? We're passing on to them this idea that you've got to be the perfect model person compared to everybody else. Parents, whose acceptance are you trying to achieve? Really? Is that what you want to raise your kids to think? It's not true. And so today, it's important that you and I understand there's a right, balanced place where God wants to bring us. That we see ourselves as He sees us, as accepted. Now, if you're a guest here today, i got to talk about this because it's very important. This sounds really good. This is really awesome, you know. You go, wow, I really like where this is going. Man, I want to come back if they're going to talk like this. Now, this holds true when you're in a right relationship with God. That means you've, you've, you've worked at growing your faith, you've grown your relationship with God, and you've accepted, you've gone into the relationship with God saying, hey, I want to make you my God and my Savior in my life. And I want to follow you. And I want this relationship with you. And you make the decision to follow Christ. And you make the decision to be baptized for the forgiveness of all your sins. Then and only then, according to what the Scriptures teach, 
that you gain and have the acceptance that we're talking about. See, because I didn't have that acceptance before I entered into that relationship with God. It was only until I turned in my chips and said, okay, God, I'm tired of doing it my way. I'm tired of running around and trying to please these people and trying to do this. I want you to lead my life. And I want to make, as Paul said, I want you to be my greatest value. I want to set aside all the worldly accolades and for you to be my high priority, my great value. And so if you're a guest here today, I want to invite you to do our core four Bible studies. And if you've done those Bible studies and you're all the way through, I want to ask you, what are you waiting for to enter into this relationship? Do you think you can earn it? Do you think you can, you can, you can work through this whole thing on your own? It's time that you made the decision to either study the Bible, and if you've done that, it's time to get right. And you know what? Today, we get the opportunity to close out our service and we're going to watch somebody get baptized. Amen. Somebody who's, who's studied it out, they know what it means, and they've decided to set everything else aside and make Jesus their Lord in their lives. And at that point, you're going to be a witness of it today. At that point, when they come up out of the water, as the Bible promises, they will receive the cure to all insecurities. That they're accepted as a follower, as a child of God. So, I want to leave you with this verse this week. If you can put it on your banner and your phone, I want to encourage you to memorize this verse. And with the underline under through Christ, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That you, if you will begin to look at yourself, not as the world does, to take your eyes off the world and start looking at God and saying, I want to see me as you see me. I want to understand how you see me and focus on that. That's your homework for this week. And even to ask yourself that question, what am I getting my self-esteem from? Who am I really trying to please through all of this? And, you know, I want to finish out with a word picture about this whole concept. A number of years ago, when we were living in Mexico City, I remember uh, Laura and I went on this long trip to South Africa for a huge conference that was being held, and we traveled all the way over there. It was, we weren't super excited about it, but Nick, Nicholas was six weeks old. And you know what a six-week-old does? They don't sleep. And then you go to the other side of the planet, and we were, we were exhausted. We went to this conference, and we came back, and it's like, a, I don't know, 18-hour flight and, and time. You go over, then down. I mean, it was just, it was a long, long, long trip. And we get back to Mexico City, and, and some of you have known this, but you get to the immigration department, and there are literally thousands of people waiting in line. And I remember getting there, and we got Nicholas, and we're like, gosh, it, we, are, we are toast. You know, and it's going to take us hours, hours, and hours to get through this. And then I remember getting into the airport and my friend from the fitness club where I was working out and, and training, he, him and I would, would work out together and he was the chief of immigration working that shift. 
And he picked me out of a group of thousands. Here I am, here Laura is, and here's, here's Nicholas. And we're just, we're like, oh man, we're going to die. And this is how they roll in Mexico. He walks up to me and he says, hey, Pedro. And he gives me a hug. and Welcome back. Where are you coming from? And I said, oh man, we, we just came back from this long trip. And he says, hey, he puts his arm around me. He says, come on with me. And we walk by the whole line and people are looking. Because see, all I wanted to do, all I wanted to do is just get home. I just want to go home. I'm tired. I miss my daughter because Lauren didn't come with us. So I just want to go home. And here's this guy, puts his arm around, and he walks us past all the lines, all the craziness. We hand him our passports. Bing, bing, bing. You're free to go. I'll never forget that. Because I really, really just wanted to go home. And you know, all of us are on this journey where we want to get home. Not to our house. Another home. And the Bible tells us that home is, is a mansion. It's, a, it's filled with more than enough rooms. It's an incredible place. The book of Revelation tells us that it's indescribable, this place that God has set up for us. It's indescribable. He tries, John tries. He says gold streets and this and the other. But it's not even close. That's only a, a, a fraction. You, you, you look at a gazillion times what's in the book of Revelations. A gazillion times that. Then you'll get a hint of what we're talking about. And you know what God wants to do with us? He wants to put His arm around us and walk past all the people and take us home. Because we are favored when we're in a right relationship with Him. And that's what it means to be Accepted. And so I really want to encourage you to, to nail this. And we're going to close out and take communion now. But here again, Paul describes it. He says, from now on, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, it says, from now on, we regard no one from this worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do no so longer. So we no longer will look at people the way we used to. We no longer look at ourselves the way we used to. Now we have a different point of view. And he says in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, and the old has gone, and the new is here. So we've got a, a new label. We've got a new name. And that new name is acceptance. And what did it cost? What did it cost to give us that new name? And here it is. A little further down in verse 21. God made Him who had no sin, meaning Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, Jesus says, I'll take your place and you take mine. That's how God can put His arm around us and say, I accept you. I know you're not perfect. I know you've failed. I know you've fallen. I know you've done a lot of bad things. But in spite of all that, I'm going to give you a new lease on life. I'm going to change your name. I'm going to change your identity. And I'm going to put the one of my son here on your chest. So you have a new identity. But it came at a price. 
Jesus had to go through what we deserved. So don't take this lightly. What we're about to do in taking the communion, I, I want to encourage you to reflect. I want to encourage you to go back through your week, maybe go back through a few months, go back in history and say, you know, where have I really been at? What have I been doing in my relationship with God to either bring me closer or separate me? I want to deal with that today. And I want to be in a right relationship and I want to stop struggling with how the world sees me, how I see me, and I want to start seeing me as you see me, God. Forgive me for that. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for what we're seeing today. Thank You for helping me see my own insecurities and the things that I'm trying to do in order to achieve acceptance or build my self-esteem. Forgive me for that. And help me, God, to, 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 to see You or to see me as, I, as You see me. And thank You that Jesus was willing to go through what He went through for us to risk it all so that we could be in a right relationship with You. I pray for every single person here this morning that You will minister to them, that You will reach into their heart and they will make decisions today to look at themselves differently. And I pray for our friends who are visiting here with you, uh, with us today, God, that You'll help them to not wait, to not delay but to be urgent about getting in that right relationship with you. Whatever it takes. Because after it's all said and done, this is the most important thing. Thank you for Jesus that He died on the cross for us. He became sin so that we could become righteousness in your sight. Bless this communion. Thank you that we can remember Him. Again, forgive us for the things that we have done that have hurt you and hurt our relationships. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.